My daughter was one year old. I had told myself I was gonna stop drinking when she was born. I was drinking all day when my wife was out and uh, caring for my daughter, in quotes, and I almost dropped her on the driveway. My wife came home and I was sobbing and I went to my first uh, support group meeting um, the next day. I don't know if I knew it at the time, but God showed up in that moment because he really gave me um, a visualization of losing everything. I really saw in that moment that I was gonna lose my wife and my family and my car and my good job and all the rest. And so it shook me enough and that's what it took to get me to uh, take that step that I really did not want to do, which was the ultimate humility to me, was to go ask for help because I did not want to do that. I think freedom um, for me is exemplified in 26 years of sobriety because that in itself is a miracle. When I look back at my life then and I look at it now and it bears no resemblance, the two. Um, so I truly am a new creation in so many ways. And with that, you know, I've learned not only is change possible, but it's required if I'm going to truly be a follower of God. And from that, you know, the freedom that's given me an amazing relationship with my wife and with my children that I'm very confident I wouldn't have been able to have if I not, had not gone on this journey. Um, the freedom to be comfortable in my own skin, to not have to put on a facade and pretend that I'm something that I'm not. Those things have really allowed me to really bring hope to other people that are seeking recovery or seeking a, a closer relationship with God. Freedom to me means that I know I have a choice to follow God in the life that He created me to have. Great morning, fam. How are y'all? Good. It's, it's good to see y'all. You know, you do my heart good. I like y'all. Y'all, yeah. well, thank you. That's kind. Uh, somebody pay her afterwards, so, yeah. Um, why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord? Feeling so daring. It's so risky, right, to lift your hands. It's like this perfect sign of surrender. It exposes all your vital parts. Like, Lord, you can have my heart. You can have my breath. You can have me. You can have my life. Jesus, we worship you. We, we bless you. We honor you. We exalt you. You're the center of it all, Jesus. We love your name, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We believe you are. God, we pray for just your tangible presence in this room, that we would experience your nearness, your closeness, we would experience your touch. Lord, that you would speak to us <laughs> that we would hear your voice 
and that we would know your love. Mm-hmm. You're so wonderful. Tell them, tell them, Lord, you're so wonderful. In your own way, just you're so wonderful. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. Y'all glad to be in the house of the Lord? Hanging out with your peeps. Galatians chapter number four. In my Bible, it's page 1,172. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Page 974 in the Bible is under your seat. When you have it, say amen. Chapter Chapter 4, verse 21. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now these may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, and she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, brothers, like Isaac, you are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Uh, Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're uh, still in this series on the book of Galatians, and uh, the book of Galatians is a book about identity. In fact, last week, Doug preached it, and he said, uh, he says, you are free to be your true you, like living out your real identity. And listen, Galatians helps us out with that. Galatians helps us understand the gospel. Like, it helps us understand that the gospel is sufficient in itself, meaning we can't add nothing to it. The good news that Jesus paid it all with his death and burial, and he is over it all with his bodily resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. Like, we can add nothing to that story. Paul, this great missionary, he's this apostle, this church planner. Uh, We discover as we read his writings that his seminal work is the Spirit's empowerment and justification by faith alone. 
And so this morning we'll focus on this idea of justification by faith alone. Ephesians chapter number two, verse eight says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Paul writes in Galatians uh, verse two, chapter two, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He writes in Romans, for if, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or it was counted to him as righteousness. Now simply, righteousness is being in right standing with God. And it's not what you've done that puts you in right standing. It's faith in the work of his son that puts you in the right standing. The scriptures say that the just shall live by faith or the justified shall live by faith. We are justified in Christ and we are made acceptable because of the work of the blood of Jesus. Like the blood still has miraculous power. It may not be a popular topic today, but the blood still works. It, it still washes. It still cleanses us from a guilty conscience. And we must put our trust in his work, in the work of Jesus, uh, and our faith in his name. It makes us whole and brings salvation to us. For us to be justified, to be justified simply is to be just as if you never did it. That's what it means. When God justifies you, it's like just as if you never did the thing that you did. You know that sin that separates you from God? To be justified is just as if you never did that thing that keeps you separated from God. Yeah, that's a good place to say thank you. Uh And so you and I are justified. Uh, We are free to be our true selves, and we are free to rejoice and walk in promise. I want to highlight this verse, Galatians chapter 4, verse 28 says, Now you, 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 now you, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. You're children of promise. To quite understand this, he says you're like Isaac. So you got to understand a little bit something about Isaac. Isaac. Isaac is the miracle son of two people who have received the promise of descendants late in life. Uh, Uh, At the time of the promise, Abraham was about 75 and Sarah was 65, and they had no babies. So you have to ask the question, how are you going to get descendants when you ain't even got no baby? You know, you know, have you ever had a promise from God and you're trying to figure out how you can make this promise happen and God is working too slow for you? Anybody ever had the moment like, God, you're working a little slow? I think I'm going to help you out. And some years later, uh, about 11 years later, uh, 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 Sarah gets an idea. She's like, you know what, maybe I'm not the one that God's going to use to fulfill this promise. Let me talk to my husband and talk to my boo and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to offer you Hagar. So at this time, uh, um, Abraham's about 86 and Sarah's around 66, and, and they're helping God out. And so uh, Sarah gives Abraham to Hagar, and, uh, and uh, Hagar conceives. She has a boy. His name is Ishmael. But how many know this was not God's plan? God's plan was not for them to use Hagar. Hagar was probably young and tender. 
In other words, see, God loves to use impossible situations. I don't know if you know that. So it wasn't God's plan. And, and so here it is 14 years later, 13 to 14 years later, uh, at the time of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, Abraham's about 100, and uh, that's 100, uh, and, and Sarah is 90. And, and, and I know it sounds ridiculous that someone uh, that uh, at that age would have a newborn. I mean, I'm thinking about my dad. My dad is 82 and my mom's 70. And I'm like, them with the newborn? Like, is this weird science? What's going on here? I mean, this is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous or ridiculous and so strange that God tells them to name this baby. And he gives them this miracle baby a name, and he says, name this baby Isaac, because Isaac's name means laughter. Like, you ever felt like, God, are you punk? Am I being punked? <laughs> like, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> See, at this news, you know, God didn't, want to, didn't accept Ishmael as the promised son. He wanted Sarah to be a part of the promise. Both Abraham and Sarah laugh at the idea of them being parents at 90 and 100. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her and I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham, then Abraham responds to this. You want to see how he responds? Literally, the Bible says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Literally, he was like, <laughs> God, you're funny. You're real funny, God. This, ain't, this is funny. Like, like, how are you? I mean, he says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, this miracle is laughable. Yet, is there anything too hard for God? I imagine, imagine you go to the mall and you see a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man pushing a stroller down the mall. And you walk up, oh, he's so cute. Is this your great, great, great grandbaby? <laughs> it's like, no, this, he's ours. <laughs> Why are you playing? <laughs> I mean, this is what's taking place. It's laughable, yet God puts us in moments where all you could say is God did this. His promise is beyond our imagination and beyond our ability. He puts Sarah and Abraham in that situation that they could not achieve on, the, on their own. And as Paul's writing this in Galatians, Paul is speaking to a people who are struggling with a miracle too. The miracle of salvation without works. Like, that's a miracle. You mean, I don't have to earn it? I don't have to do anything to gain this? I mean, there's nothing for me to do. All I have to do is believe you? I mean, oh, no, no, no. They're struggling because they, they've got this works mentality. They can't get with the miracle of salvation. They can't grasp, quite grasp this kind of promise. It's just too hard to believe. I don't have to make myself righteous. 
Now remember, Paul's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church. And, and sometimes even in the church, we can be tricked and bamboozled to think we can add a little to God's grace. And then we will really be acceptable. Let's start by keeping all the laws. Let's memorize all the verses. Yet Paul reminds them, he says, listen, you are children of promise. Look around, look around, look around, look around. Look around the person next to you. They are a person of promise. They're, they're miracle babies. Uh, they shouldn't be uh, counted in the number of the elect, but they're miracle babies. And I know it's beyond your imagination, too. It's beyond your ability. Uh, uh, but for Israel, they, they didn't just laugh. They stumbled. They couldn't reconcile this kind of goodness, the kind of goodness that's not based on merit. Uh, my wife, and years ago, we were, uh, 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 a Jehovah's Witness came to her house and uh, and uh, we was like, come on in, <laughs> and sat down, and we're having a conversation with them, and we're like, listen, you don't have to knock on doors to get into heaven. It's not based on your works, and, and he couldn't, we tried to explain grace, he was like, I just can't understand that kind of goodness. It broke our heart. He couldn't, he couldn't reconcile that God would be so good to him that it has nothing to do with him. See, God require, requires nothing but your faith. Your responsibility is only availability. See, Paul's talking to this Galatians church, and he's trying to help them avoid the danger of thinking we can be justified by our works. In other words, Paul's trying to get us past our, our self-reliance. See, the debate of the day was at the time, should Gentiles get, be circumcised? Because circumcision was a sign of covenant. Like it was a sign that you belong to God. And so there was what they called the circumcision party. And every new convert, they wanted them to be circumcised so that now you're really a part of, now you're really one of us. Now, now you're really a part of the covenant. Now you're really acceptable. And Paul is like, no, 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 no. Paul is saying, listen, if you, have, if you keep one part of the law, then you got to keep all of it. You can't, you know, no mixture. Paul is trying to uh, how, uh, help them break their works mentality in the kingdom. And, you know, we all have, have these moments where we suffer from this delusion that we can work and therefore be acceptable. If, if, if I was more righteous, then, uh, then good things would happen to me. That, that's how we play it out. Or if, if I went to church more, then maybe my mother wouldn't have died. Or, or, or uh, uh, we have these fallen mindsets that I need to be more pious to get God to respond to me. That's a works mentality. So we go into this idea, I will now work on myself so I can be perfected. Yet Paul, he vehemently addresses the church. I mean, he, he has loaded words. In street vernacular, he was coming for them. I mean, he begins to list a bunch of questions in chapter number three. The, the apostle Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bamboozled you? Who has cast a spell on you? Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? 
are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? He's like, you didn't get the, the movement of the Spirit and, and the work of miracles because you did circumcision. See, the idea of circumcision is this. It's the, the cutting away of the flesh. But notice, in circumcision, who does the cutting away of the flesh? We do. That's works mentality. And so Paul is like, listen, this has nothing to do with your work. He says, it's not about mixture. It's not a little grace and a little works. Uh, This is not the perfect justification cocktail. A little works, a little grace. No, the work has already been done by Jesus on the cross and him being raised by the Spirit from the dead. That work is done. Now you have to do is believe the work, not work to believe. You got to believe the work, not work to believe. What do I mean by that? Well, work to believe means, well, let me do this. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to do 15 minutes with God, and I'm not going to miss one day. And then, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm tithing. And then I'm not going to cuss anybody out this week. I'm not going to give anybody the bird when we're driving and they cut me off. I'm going to be real good, Lord, and then I'll be acceptable. Then I'll believe that I'm justified. God's like, listen, we need to annihilate that mentality. Believe the work. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Add nothing to it. Paul says, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. For you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul is contrasting. He's making a contrast between slavery and freedom. And he says, but you're sons. You've been adopted. And, and how many of you know that you can't, you can't do anything to get yourself adopted? Um, you're adopted because somebody wants you. Uh, you're adopted because someone has compassion on you and they want you to experience their love. That's why you're, you're adopted because they don't want you to live a life being orphaned. So actually the Greek word here for adoption is uh, heothesia. It means to formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance. Like God says you are adopted and I'm not going to treat you any differently than those who are my natural children, the Jews. You have complete rights to your inheritance. In other words, when somebody new comes in the family, we're not going to mistreat them because they didn't come from us biologically. Hmm. Being adopted in the family means God wants you. 
So this God who wants you, he's a good papa. And he says, you don't have to earn sonship. And I love that it says sonship. Paul says sonship a lot. In Ephesians 1 and 5, says, he says, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In Romans, he writes, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I want you to see this, that I don't believe that Paul is having a moment where he's been a sexist or he's creating gender exclusion by calling all of us sons. He's including daughters in this moment. And the reason he's doing that, he's saying that you're all sons, is because daughters at the time did not have right to inheritance. So he said, listen, every daughter in this room, you are not a lesser class citizen. You're not a lesser class child of mine. The same inheritance the boys get, the girls get. You're all sons. And then later on, Paul says, there's no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male or female. We are all one in him. Because when he adopted you, he adopted you with the full intent of that you will receive an inheritance. In other words, God says, I have some things for you. Paul continues to contrast. He contrasts immature children and slaves. He says, as long as an heir remains a child, he is just like a slave, though he is owner of all. So he's actually saying, so don't reduce yourself to being a slave by not growing into your full identity as a son and daughter. Now, here's the thing. You don't grow into your identity by obedience. You grow in your identity by intimacy. The more that I relate to my father and I'm intimate with my daddy, the more my identity shows up. Uh, 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 Jesus said it a different way. Um, Am I getting ahead of myself? I might be. No, I'm not. Jesus said it a different way. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now notice, it's different from saying, if you keep my commandments, you love me. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, uh, uh, it's this idea that obedience flows out of intimacy. Thank you, Jay. That's why John, in 1 John, he says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because he's been intimate with someone. See, when you're intimate with somebody and you're in the height of that intimacy, they can ask you to do about anything. So, oh, no problem. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. You want me to get to the store and get you a pack of cookies? Sure. Because there's been this element of intimacy. And so Paul, he continues to contrast. He contrasts a free identity and a bondage identity. 
And he moves on to one of the, the great stories of the Bible. Uh, it's a story that with many symbolic and allegorical significance. Now, I want you to understand that um, the story of Abraham and Sarah is a true story. The story of Sarah and Hagar is a true story. But there is a measure of allegory. In other words, there's a hidden meaning in it. It's kind of like a Transformers moment. Like, you know, Transformers, more than meets the eye. I mean, this is what is happening with this verse. I know, it was, it was whack joke. It was a whack joke, but it's all right. <laughs> but it's all right. You win some, you lose some. And so Paul, he begins to describe two different systems. And the reality is oftentimes our identity can flow from the systems we've grown up in or are programmed through. And we don't even realize it. And Paul wants to deprogram the works mentality so the children of promise can experience promise. Listen, if you're trying to work to gain promise, you'll never experience promise. If you're trying to earn promise, you're not really going to experience promise. It's a work of God. So Paul, is, uh, he's out to deprogram them. He's given them access to their blind spots. And so two systems are at work in these verses, a system of freedom and a system of bondage. For it was written, Abraham had two sons, one, to, one to, uh, uh, by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Two systems at work. And Paul begins to say, the son of the slave was born according to flesh, while the son of the free uh, woman was born through promise. Two systems, two covenants. The law and the spirit. In fact, 40 days from a resurrection, we will celebrate Pentecost Sunday. The first Pentecost uh, that happened on Mount uh, uh, Sinai, uh, where they, they say Hagar is from, uh, is where the giving of the law was, when the Ten Commandments came. But the second Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was poured out. There are two systems. There's two women, Sarah and Hagar. Hagar, symbolic of the Jewish church, or what Paul would say in his day, the present-day Jews. It's symbolic of the flesh and the giving of the law. Sarah, symbolic of the Christian church, the promise and the giving of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting as you, as you, as you, uh, as you read the names, Hagar's name actually, well, it's, a, it's a debate. They either say her name is unknown or it means to flee or to be a stranger. They're not sure. Uh, it can mean that she, uh, it means flee or to be a stranger, where Sarah's name means to be a princess. So in other words, when you live in works mentality, you behave as if God's a stranger to you. What would it be like if you had a child and your child pretended like they had to work to gain your love? They'd be, it'd be like they're a stranger. Where Sarah, her name, God changes it from Sarai to Sarah to say, listen, you are my princess. Any dads got princesses in the room? Like you belong to somebody. And notice this, he's talking to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, no longer will you call us Sarah, you'll call us Sarah. In other words, I don't want you to, to respond to Sarah like she belongs to you. I want you to respond to Sarah like she belongs to me. 
See, a queen responds, a queen would respond to Abraham, but a princess responds to the father. What would happen in our marriages if we treated our spouse like they belong to God? Let me get back in here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Two systems. Two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael, symbolic of self-effort and a product of the flesh. Isaac, symbolic of the impossible, a product of promise. There's contrast, slave and free, law and faith, works and grace, flesh and spirit, slavery and freedom. You know, I was looking at this and I was trying to figure out, like, what, how do you, you know, th this idea that, uh, that, that we are children of promise I was like, what is the opposite of promise? To promise means to announce to someone with certainty as to what one will do. Like a promise is dependent on someone else. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I looked it up. There are no uh, antonyms to, to promise. I'm like, where are the antonyms? I'm, I see all the synonyms, pledge, and, but no, no antonyms to promise. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think in this context, I think that the, the opposite of promise is self-reliance. Well, promise is dependent on what God would do. Self-reliance is dependent on what you can do. And sometimes we approach our faith based on what we can do. And God's like, I need you to approach your faith based on what I can do. See, I believe that God wants to remind you that he is a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. <laughs> He's a promise keeper. He's the only one that's never lied. He's a promise keeper. Like the people and the things that we put our trust in, they lie to us. But God's never lied. He's a promise keeper. <laughs> and Paul is trying to write to them, don't trust yourself, trust God. He's never lied and he never disappoints. Trust the promise keeper. Because he who began a good work We'll complete it. So you have freedom to rejoice and to walk in promise. And, and the reason why I say you have freedom to rejoice is that he says uh, in, in chapter 20, uh, 26 of, of, uh, of Galatians 4, Jew, the Jews and above is free and she is our mother, for it is written, rejoice, O barren one. You who do, does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. In other words, he's saying to, 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 this is symbolic of Sarah, listen, I know it doesn't look like things are going to turn out the way that you want them to turn out, but I need you to celebrate. I need you to worship, not because of your ability. I need you to look up and see me and praise and celebrate and sing and adore and exalt and extol because I, in fact, this is a quote from, from Isaiah chapter 64, where says, uh, and your maker shall be your husband. The one that's going to do the work is not you. The one that's going to perfect you is not you. 
The one that's gonna complete you is not you. The one that's gonna heal you is not you. The one that's gonna fill you is not you. I'm done. No, I'm not. (laughs) Who will give me one more minute? Okay. Wait, wait, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I got about 60 more minutes. I see all these hands. I'm, I'm about done, I promise. Oh, where's this at? This isn't in my notes, but I just, I feel like this will just bless your socks off. Ah, here we go. It's Romans chapter number four. We'll start at verse 16. Why is it, uh, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist." I want you to take a moment and see that again. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. He gives life to the dead and, gives, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, at this moment, God is talking to Abraham, and he's talking about Abraham, and he's talking about Sarah. He sent Abraham, who's 100, he's about as good as dead, and he calls the, the one that's dead, he makes them alive. But Sarah is different. He calls into existence the thing that doesn't exist. Well, what didn't exist? Well, she was past her time. Which means that there are no more eggs in her body. Are you with me? So what God does is he looks at Sarah and he says, I don't see any eggs, but I'm going to call into existence the thing that doesn't exist. And so egg, be there. Well, how did that happen? It didn't happen because Abraham and Isaac were like, let's go to the movies. And tonight after the movies, we, well, y'all know what I'm talking about. That's not how it happened. (laughs) Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. But Hebrews chapter 11 says, and Sarah judged him faithful and received strength to conceive. So she went from laughing to judging him faithful. And the miracle happened. Abraham went from laughing (laughs) and believing. And the miracle happens. Two systems. Sarah, synonymous of faith, grace, spirit, promise. Hagar, law, works, flesh, and slavery. Self-reliance. The question is, who do you identify with? Are you living living your life trying to earn your way in? God, if I would just say the prayer right, then you'll, you'll work for me. God, if I'll if I just do this right, you'll do this. That's works. Our responsibility is to believe the work. Believe the work. The work is sufficient. So, Father, I thank you. 
for your word. I thank you for truth. Thank you that you are speaking to us. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the grace to, to break the shackle of performance, of self-reliance, of self-effort, uh, of striving to try to earn your favor. Lord, forgive us for the moments that, that we felt that we can earn something from you. When you just simply call us sons and daughters. May we experience your sonship. In Jesus' name. Hey, the team was praying for you this morning, and uh, they, they believed that they got the, an, an impression that someone uh, had breast cancer, and we just want to come and pray for you and believe that God will break that thing off of you. God bless you. Have a super Sunday. You are the moonlight in the sky that I'm pursuing.